Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, amen, church. That's good news. Amen. God is good. He's faithful. And he knows us. Amen. He knows us. It is communion weekend, and we're going to be excited at the end of the service. We're going to take communion together as a church family. And let's welcome our church online family with us, too, this weekend. We're so happy that you're with us. And we're going to be taking communion, so go grab the elements, whatever you have at your house. It could be anything, water, juice, cracker, because we're going to be taking communion at the end of the service. But the title for this message, for this communion weekend message, is He Knows Your Name. And that, again, that is good news. You know, we all have a desire to be fully known. It's true, whether, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah, we have that desire, but a lot of the times that's the hardest thing for us to do. To be vulnerable with somebody, to be open with somebody, to talk about the deepest parts of ourselves. But we have that yearning of wanting to be truly known. And I want you to know, here today, this weekend, God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. And we're going to get into this. Um, I want to start with one of the most really important scriptures you can say in the word of God. And it's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And Paul writes here, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Amen? That's enough reason to give God praise there. Yeah, you can give God some praise, but he says, if anyone is in Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, because you realize you cannot do this life alone. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, the new creation has come, the new is here. And I love that, because if you think about it, this is, Paul is talking about exactly what it means to be a Christian. If you, he just identifies us, when you give your life to Christ, you are now in Christ. Amen. You are now in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And I believe that that scripture is the heart of our new relationship that we have with Jesus when we give our life to him. In the eyes of God, in that moment, when we surrender our life to Jesus, in that moment, the old is gone. The old in our life passes away, of which our spirit was dead to God. It was not alive to God, disconnected from him. But now that new has come, what happened? Our spirit now is alive unto God. We are connected with him and we receive the life of God in us. Amen? It says we are sealed with his spirit. And just going over this scripture, I don't know why this just visual popped in my mind because it happens like every day at home. So I have a two-year-old daughter and she's super into drawing right now. By that, I just mean grabbing 50 crayons and getting a huge pad. We have those easel pads and just going all over it. She has her artistic ability from her mother, definitely not me. But I can't even draw a, like a stick figure. But so she does this thing. She gets the pad. It's every morning. She says, Dad, Dad, I want the pad. So we get the pad. I put it in the middle of the living room. Then I have a bag of crayons. She gets the crayons. She starts writing on the paper. It's a huge one of those easel pads. And she's not here to hear me, so I could say it. By the end of her picture, it's beautiful, but it looks like a mess. By that, I just mean it's 25 colors. It's just scribbles. It, to me, it's a masterpiece. Amen. If you think about it, I don't have this, but that could be a lot of times God, we think we're a mess. He sees us as his masterpiece. But anyway, she goes like this. So I see it, and, and she's done with it. And she'll say, new, new. So I have to go to the pad, and I have to rip it off 
And then I toss it, and then she has a clean slate, a new paper. And think about it. When we give our life to God, no matter how messy we were, no matter how messed up we thought we were, when we give our life to him, our old is gone, and we have a clean sheet. The new is here. God has made us clean through the blood of Jesus. Amen? He's adopted us into his family. When we give our life, you are a son of God or you are a daughter of God. He's adopted us into his family. He is our father. And as we know, every good father knows his child by name. Now, I only have one kid, so I better not mess up her name. But I know a lot of people. You could have 10 kids. Now, you might call them a different name every now and then because you might get confused if you have 10. But you know each and every one of your kids' names, right? Every good father knows their kid by name. And we are adopted into the family of God. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you received, talking about that spirit, God's spirit, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. That spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. There's so much stuff and powerful and good stuff in that scripture. I mean, think about it. He's saying the new spirit you received, it does not make you live in fear again, which shows the spirit we had before we received Jesus, right? We would, what? I can think of myself. I was always fearful, right? I didn't know there was a father that loved me. When we received that new spirit, it says we don't have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And now we've received a spirit about our adoption, which we cry out, Abba, Father. And in the ancient Jewish world, talking about adoption, adoption was really unheard of then because if a child was left without parents it was automatically assumed then that the next of kin would assume responsibility of that child and raise that child and if it was a son to carry on the family name and Paul he's writing here so we have to understand this he's writing to a Roman audience in the Roman world in a Roman world here in this uh, book and in the Roman world adoption it was a significant process and common practice now today in today's day and age we could write a will right for ourselves we could write a will and leave whatever we have our inheritance to whoever you may choose if you write a will you can leave it to whoever you would like to leave it to anyone we want in the roman world with just very few exceptions a man had to pass his wealth onto his sons and if a man had no sons or he felt that his sons that he had were incapable of being able to manage his wealth or, or were unworthy of it, he would have to adopt someone who would make a worthy son. So these adoptions, a lot, they weren't infant, they were older guys, older boys, adults, whatever it may be. And Paul's writing to these Roman audiences, and he uses this metaphor of adoption, which a Roman audience then would have really, truly grasped and understood. And in Galatians 4, 3 through 7, it says, So also, when we were children... We were enslaved under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. And since you are a son, you are also an heir through God. See, we were born enslaved, talking about being a slave to sin. You know, until Jesus comes back, this, this world is ruled by sin. That's why we see craziness going on. People go, why is this happening? Because we live in a sinful world. 
Until Jesus comes back, we live in a sinful world. And we were enslaved to that. But Jesus, he bought us out of slavery by the shedding of his blood, by going to the cross to die for us. He bought us out of that, and now we are adopted by the Father and given the Holy Spirit, and we are heirs of God. We are heirs of God. And I love this scripture because, see, in contrast to the bondage of the law, life in Christ is freedom of sons and daughters. We have freedom in Christ. We have freedom. God's purpose in sending Jesus was to rescue us and bring us in to adoption as sons and daughters. Amen? Now, one difference from Roman adoption that we were just talking about is that Christians, see, we're not adopted because God thinks we will make worthy heirs. What do I mean by that? I mean, because he doesn't look at us and go, oh, they have everything together, so I would want to adopt them into my family. Because honestly, if that was the case, none of us would probably be here, right? If we're honest with ourselves. See, God adopts people who are completely unworthy because he adopts, why? On the basis of his grace. God adopts on the basis of his grace, on what his son Jesus did and what his son Jesus purchased for us. Grace is what makes us worthy. Amen? Grace is what makes us worthy. It's not our works. It's grace. It's what Jesus did and us receiving Jesus and us being, going back to what we talked about in the very beginning of now being in Christ. That is what makes us worthy. And when we come to faith in Christ, our sin debts that we had are canceled. Our sin debts are canceled. And we're given a new name. We are now a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, redeemed. And we're giving all that the right to the heir would possess. God has given us that. He's given us authority in the name of Jesus. He's given us promises in his word to stand upon. Amen? There's a Bible teacher, Michael Youssef, and he talks about this one thing. And so he talks about how important names are. He just says names are important. And it is by our name that other people identify us and that we identify ourselves. And think about that. I mean, right? Normally you meet somebody. What's the first thing you say? You introduce yourself. You say your name, right? Names are extremely important. In biblical times, parents gave their children names with descriptive meanings. I mean, they have to be. Some of the names in the Old Testament, you had to be like, there had to be a reason you would have named them that. But, and so, and when you look at them, some of the names could have been strong, meant strong, trustworthy, leader, and hope that that person would take that name and embody what their name meant and grow up to be that. Ecclesiastes 7.1 states, a good name is better than fine perfume. Names are extremely important. And, you know, I want to read this story that I read. And it says in this story, it says, there was a teacher who asked her students to share what they wanted to be when they grew up. For the most part, the students gave the usual responses. Doctor, lawyer, policeman, nurse, pilot, and firefighter. Then the teacher asked Billy, he said, and he, would, would you, that, what do you want to be? And he said, I want to be possible. Possible, the teacher asked. Yes, he replied, because my mom tells me all the time that I'm impossible. So I want to grow up to be possible. Now, that, that's funny and horrible. No, uh, yeah, cute. There we go. This is a good mix. Um, but names are important. 
And honestly, we can all think back to probably things we recall that stuck with us for a long time. And, you know, when I first read this, and I was just being honest, I was like, man, I was like, that's horrible. And I started going in my mind, like, do I say that to my daughter? What do I say to her? What do I call her? (laughs) But that, that's, that's horrible. But if you think about it, and I, I'm talking about myself because I started thinking about it. I go, man, that's, that's possible. But I think to myself, even myself, how many times do I call myself things? Or how many times do we call ourselves things and just speak it? And walk around and say, I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, I remember I caught myself, and I had to go down, this was years and years ago, to a deep, like, root to see, like, why do I do this? I remember, like, any time that I felt like I would mess up, and I'd get, like, confronted about something, like, why would you do this? And my answer was always, like, I don't know. I'm stupid, I guess. I don't know. And I would say it as a way to be maybe sarcastic, but I actually had to stop and being like, well, is this actually how I see myself? See, names can be very important. We have to watch what we call ourselves, what we call other people. Names are extremely important. It's important of what we call people. And as believers, as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, we're adopted into the kingdom of God. And we're given a new identity and a new name and a life filled with possibility. And I'm here to tell you that here this weekend. If, you're, if you are there and you feel like there's not a hope in the future, you have a life of possibility in you. God has given you a new identity. He's given you a new name. And he has good plans and he has a purpose for your life. We are called children of God. No matter what our past looked like, no matter what it is, God wants to be there for us. He calls us his sons. He calls us his daughters. And he wants to pull us into every part of his life. And I want to look at a moment in Jesus' ministry here. And it's in Luke chapter 19. And Jesus is kind of, he's doing some ministry here. And he sees somebody that the town did not like so much. Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And people weren't very fond of him. People didn't really like tax collectors because he was taking their money. So there was a crowd around Jesus, and this guy wanted to see Jesus so much, he climbs a tree so he could see him. In Luke 19, 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Now, all of Zacchaeus' life, He's been ridiculed. He's been rejected. First for his appearance. Says he was very tiny. And then for his sinful life. But Jesus did more than just look at him. Jesus didn't just pass by and just look at him. By calling Zacchaeus by his name, Jesus showed that he knew him. Imagine the shock that Zacchaeus must have. Because when Jesus said his name, right there, he's saying, Zacchaeus, I know you. And I don't, you know, I'm being honest, from doing youth ministry for a lot of years, I see, especially in teenagers, the importance of this. When, we, when a kid comes in for the first time, and we, we meet them and we talk to them, when they come in the next week and you say hi to them by their name, there's like a light that goes off in their face. Because they're going, they remembered who I was. And there's something powerful about actually calling somebody by their name. Because you're saying, I know you. I know you. So Jesus says, Zacchaeus, he said, And how did Jesus know his name? Well, you know, God, he not only knows where we are, because God knows where we are. I'm not even just talking about geographically. He's talking about where we are in life, what we struggle with, what we're going through. You know, we could try to hide stuff from God, but he knows. We don't need to hide stuff from God. He knows where we are, but he also knows who you are. 
He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through, why you're going through, how you feel about it. You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. Sometimes if we would just listen to God, we'd start knowing more about ourselves, to be honest. I've seen it in my own life, like he'd reveal things to me of, oh, this is why I struggle with that. Oh, this is why that sets me off. Oh, this is why I get upset about that, because it's a lot more than just the surface. It's a lot more than just the surface. See, he knows us. And, you know, looking at the name Zacchaeus, I find it really interesting, because, see, the name Zacchaeus, and this guy, again, he wasn't the best of guys. People didn't like him. But the name Zacchaeus means pure one. And that's the last thing that would come to mind when you're thinking of this corrupt tax collector here. He was anything but pure, and yet Jesus, calling Zacchaeus by name, what he was basically saying is, hey, pure one, I'm coming to your house today. And Jesus was affirming what he saw in Zacchaeus, not what Zacchaeus was. Jesus was affirming what he saw in Zacchaeus, who Zacchaeus truly was. And in our lives, if we're not careful, we may struggle or we may not want to get too close to Jesus because you think that he's going to scold you for all the things that you've done wrong. But that's not the case at all because Jesus wants to affirm you. He wants to be there for you. He wants to let you know how much he loves you. He wants to let you know not what you call yourself, but what he calls you. You're God's masterpiece. You're a son. You're a daughter. The fact that he knows our name means more than him just knowing how we identify ourselves. It means he knows all about us and also what makes us tick, what makes us go. Jesus knows everything about us. In Psalm 103, verses 13 to 14, it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows how we are wired. He knows what we're passionate about. He knows what will get us going. He knows what we've been exposed to and how we process life. You know, we all process life differently. If we really break it down, we all process life differently. Why? Because each and every one of us in this room, we've all had different life experiences. We've all have grown up in a different household. We've all seen different things. We've all experienced different things, been exposed to different things. So we can all see life differently through certain lenses. But the thing about God is this. He knows everything about us. He knows how we're wired. He knows how we process things. He knows how we see things. He knows our strengths. He knows our limitations. That's good, and that's good news. To know that God knows our limitations. You know, I've noticed in my life, sometimes I need to really make sure I'm having quiet time with God so he can reveal to me my limitations. Because sometimes I won't know my limitations because I won't take enough time because I don't want to come face to face with my limitations. You know, I think back to uh, shortly after I first got saved, my uncle brought me to church here. I gave my life to Jesus. And if you can remember, you know, when you, when you got saved, I don't know, I mean, for the first couple months, I mean, it, it's always the greatest thing in the world. Amen? Because we're saved, we're redeemed, we're going to heaven. But those first couple months are great, right? You're like on a spiritual high. Because this is you gave your life to Jesus. You've come into realization of who you are. Man, you're, you're telling people about Jesus. You feel like, you know, everything. And then, but life still happens. Life still goes on, right? So I remember this was a, probably a couple months after I got saved. And it was like my first time, I think, where it was like, man, I came down from that spiritual high. And I forget, I can't remember exactly what it was. But I felt like, 
whatever was in front of me, like, I, I can't do this. I can't keep going. I, I can't do this. And I remember I called my uncle and I was saying to him, and I said, Uncle Johnny, I said, I feel just very weak right now. I said, I feel very limited. I said, I feel like I don't know what to do. And he said, you know, he said, that's a good thing. I said, okay, well, I could have called a couple people, but I chose to call you and I'm regretting it. No. He said, that's not a bad thing. And he said to me, he said, do you have your Bible? I said, yes, I do. He said, go to 2 Corinthians 12.10. So I went to 2 Corinthians 12.10. I'm actually going to go to it in my Bible. This is the Bible that I looked it up in. And I went to 2 Corinthians 12.10. And it says, therefore, I take pleasure, Paul's writing, in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That, and I was like, and it just hit me when I read that and saying, man, that is good news because see, when we are weak, he is strong. God knows how we're wired. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our limitations. But that's okay, and that's good news because we know that when we are weak, when we can be vulnerable and and admit that, he is strong. And the idea that he knows our name. It gives us the strength we need to walk through the difficulties of life. Because how many people know there's going to be some difficulties in life, right? Amen. It's not just this smooth sailing thing. There's going to be difficulties, but we could take heart because God said he's already overcome the world. But he knows the difficulties we're going to face. He knows that. And the idea that he knows that is powerful. And the Hebrew word, going back to that scripture, when it says, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. The Hebrew word for frame is yatzer dash khan, and also can mean to be in distress or to be frustrated. So this sentence could be translated, you know all about our frustrations and distress. God knows. And these thoughts combined would mean that God hasn't forgotten that he formed us from dust and will experience the same frustrations as human beings. But he's also, he knows, God is sympathetic to our difficulties. He wants to be there. And I want to look at this Psalm of David. And this Psalm that he wrote, it's referred to a song of praise for the Father's love. See, David, I love the Psalms. And I talk about this. If you really haven't read the Psalms, I really encourage you to do that. David didn't write all of them. He wrote a lot of them. But you see him at his highest and you see him at his lowest. All right? And David, he looked to God as father. He looked at him as protector, defender, good shepherd who cares for his own. And David knew the importance of letting God into his life. We need to know, too, to let God into every facet of our life. Not just some areas. Every areas. Every areas. And no matter how long we could be a Christian, we could still struggle at times with letting God into every area of our life. But we need to let him into every area, not holding back secrets. David shared his frustrations and fears with God. I want to look at this psalm in Psalm 139. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. What David is saying here, he's saying, there is nothing about me that you don't know. My hurts, my wounds, my disappointments, my betrayals. You know what motivates me? You know what discourages me. Because God knows our life intimately from beginning to end. And it allows him to craft us 
to prepare us for what lies ahead in our lives. And going back to David, see, David, God knew that a young David was going to face Goliath. That wasn't a surprise to God. God knew that a young David was going to face Goliath way before David knew that he was going to face Goliath. And God used David's years of shepherding as a training ground for how to fight, how to encourage himself, and how to hear from God. See, when David was out doing that, as a young child, I'm sure he wasn't thinking, this is preparing me to fight Goliath one day. This is preparing me to be on the battle lines. Yet God was using all of that to train him to be the one that would step up and said, you defy the living God, and I'm going to cut your head off. 1 Samuel 17, and Saul said to David, because David comes, nobody wants to go fight Goliath. David comes and says, I'm going to fight Goliath. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David knew it. They're all looking at him, and he's saying, You don't think I have a chance? No, this guy doesn't have a chance. Why? Because I know the one who's with me. He's prepared me. See, God knows what giants we're going to face in life. He knows the Goliaths that are in front of us. He knows the Goliaths that we're going to come up, come up against, giants of fear and insecurity, giants of general, generational sins throughout our family and life-controlling issues, giants of lack and sickness. Therefore, God is there. He prepares us by using the things that look like setbacks and obstacles to train us to train us. He knows your name. He knows our frame. He knows what you are capable of. There's times in my life I could think of things that I look back as setbacks, and I look back and I see, no, 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 God was using that. God, what I mean by that, he was, I thought it was a setback, but it was not a setback. God, he was, I had, I had to be, I had to, God was working something in me. What I thought, oh, it didn't happen on this time frame, it's because it wasn't supposed to happen on this time frame, and God was preparing me. Amen? He knows us. He prepares us. He, why? And then what does it say? God, he works all things for our good. He works all things for our good. Jesus knew the hearts of men. He knew the hearts of men. He understood how to reach people and bring them to a place of wholeness. And I want to look in John 1, as I'm going to be wrapping this up. In John 1, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered and said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. 
you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See, under the fig tree here is a play on words. Because then in that time, in ancient Jewish tradition, the fig tree was significant. It was a sacred place of prayer, study, meditation, a place of peace and safety in the midst of cruel circumstances, a place of longing for the Messiah to show himself as king. So Jesus, he had a revelation of Nathanael studying the Torah, specifically looking for answers about the Messiah. When he said, I saw him under the fig tree, Jesus knew Nathanael held a longing in his heart to see the Messiah come to earth. Therefore, Jesus, what did he do? He called him by that which identified him, pure hearted. He said, one with no deceit. Jesus knows us and he longs to bring you close to him. You need to know that. He knows you. He knows what we're going up against. He knows what's coming up and he longs to bring us close. Communion, what we're going to be doing here this weekend, it's a celebration of that intimate relationship between us and Jesus. When we take communion together, what we do is we remember that it cost Jesus his life to bring us into the family of God. Because we, we talk about, right, and it's true, you are a son of God, you are a daughter of God if you receive Jesus into your life. We have that intimate relationship, God knows you by name. But it cost something for that. It cost Jesus giving up his life. It cost him coming to die for us. So when we do communion, we remember that. The exchange, when, we take, when they took the bread and they took the wine, they're the key elements in forming a covenant, an agreement, a sacred agreement of bringing two parties into one. He brought us back into right relationship with God through the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. So today, let's celebrate that fact. That Let's celebrate that God knows every facet of who we are. He knows exactly what we need, spirit, soul, and body. He knows what you need. He knows your needs. You watching online, you here this weekend, God knows every one of your needs, spirit, soul, and body. He knows your name. He knows what giants you're up against. Listen, each and every one of us in here, each and every one of us watching online, I guarantee you, it's because it's life. We are all facing something in some way right now. And many of us, maybe we've never told anyone about it. Maybe it's been a lifelong struggle. But I want you to know that God knows. You can be honest with him. He knows you. He knows every facet of you, and he wants to meet you there. He wants you to draw close to him. He wants to be there for you. And that, knowing that, is the confidence that equips us for life. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into a song, and we're going to take communion together. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, that you know us by name, Lord. You know who we truly are, Father. I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you do call us by name. You call us son. You call us daughter. You call us masterpiece. You call us beloved. You call us forgiven. You call us redeemed. Father, we just give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
before we take communion together, I want to make sure that I give an opportunity to anybody here, anybody watching online, that if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is a God that loves you, a Father that loved you so much, He sent His one and only Son to die for you. Why? Because He wanted to adopt you as His son or His daughter. And it's not about how good you are. It's not about what you did. Going back to what we were talking about, it's about you receiving what Jesus did for you. That he went and he died for you and that he defeated death and that he rose again. And it's realizing that you can't do this life alone. That you surrender your life to him and you receive him as your Lord and your Savior. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I want to lead us in a prayer that Paul prayed in Romans. He said that if you believe Jesus is God's son. You believe he died for you. You believe he rose again. It says, if you believe that, you pray that, you confess that, what happens? You become a child of God. So I want to lead us into that prayer all together. We can bow our heads and shut our eyes. If you're watching online as well and you never prayed this prayer, pray this with us. And when you pray this and going, well, what qualifies me for salvation? It's just that. Believing that Jesus is God's son. Believing he died and believing he rose again. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he did. You receiving that gift of grace. So why don't we all pray this prayer together. Father God, I believe that you sent Jesus to the cross for my sins to die for me. And I believe he rose again. Now this day, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I repent of my old ways, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for making me a new person, for making me a child of God. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to know. You are a child of God, just like that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen? If you prayed that online, the old is gone, the new has come. And after we take communion, and you take communion with us and we're dismissed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, make sure you come up here. Tell one of our prayer workers, I prayed that salvation prayer because your life truly has just begun. You went from death to life. Amen? Let's go ahead. Let's grab that communion element. You could take off the top and grab that wafer. This wafer here, this bread, it resembles, we're remembering it, it resembles the body of Jesus that was broken for us. The body of Jesus that was whipped and was broken so we could be healed, so we could be whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Just pray over this. Father, I thank you for this bread, Lord. Father, we remember the price that Jesus paid, Lord. His body was broken for us, Father. He took those lashes so we could be healed, Father. It says, by his stripes, Lord, we were healed at the cross, Father. We remember the price that he paid for us, Father. The price that he paid so we could be brought into your family, the kingdom of God, Lord God. That you loved us so much that you sent your son. And the price that Jesus paid, we will never forget. And we remember that here today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You could take that bread.
this juice here, it symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is the most powerful thing that was shed. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed that made us into right relationship with God. The blood of Jesus that paid for our sins, that washes us, that makes us clean. Father, we thank you for the blood. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Father, the power that is in the blood of Jesus, Lord that it washed away our sins, Lord. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, Father, he washed away our sins, Father. He made us be able to be in Christ, Lord God, washed by the blood of uh, Jesus, redeemed by the blood, Lord. We thank you. This day we remember, Lord. Again, we remember the price that was paid so we could be in right relationship with you, so we could be in the family of God as sons and daughters. Lord, I pray we would never take that life lightly, Lord. I pray that when we would take communion, we would never do it lightly, Father, because Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. And we remember the price he paid and the blood he shed. In Jesus' name, amen. You could take that cup. Church, I pray the Holy Spirit continues to minister to you and that you know that God knows every facet about you and you can be honest with him. He knows your name and he is there for you. He is doing a work in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.